Well, even this old bus She's like the revolution She moves real slow Down the eastern road But the people ride And they get to where they go
they turn our whole world round. They turn our whole world round. Good morning, and thank you very much for joining me. Uh, I want to express to each of you my deep gratitude for helping to create an unprecedented grassroots political campaign that has had a profound impact in changing our nation. I want to thank the hundreds of thousands of volunteers who knocked on doors, millions of them, in the freezing winters of Iowa and New Hampshire and in the heat of Nevada and in South Carolina and in states throughout the country. I want to thank the two million Americans who have contributed financially to our campaign and showed the world that we can take on a corrupt campaign finance system and run a major presidential campaign without being dependent upon the wealthy and the powerful. Thank you for your 10 million contributions averaging $18.50 a donation. I want to thank those who phone bank for our campaign and those of you who sent out millions of texts. And I want to thank the many hundreds of thousands of Americans who attended our rallies, town meetings, and house parties from New York to California. Some of these events had over 25,000 people, some had a few hundred, and some had a dozen. But all were important. And let me thank those who made these many events possible. I also want to thank our surrogates, too many to name. I can't imagine that any candidate has ever been blessed with a stronger and more dedicated group of people who have taken our message to every part of this country. And I want to thank all of those who made the music and the art an integral part of our campaign. I want to thank all of you who spoke to your friends and neighbors, posted on social media, and worked as hard as you could to make this a better country. Together, we have transformed American consciousness as to what kind of nation we can become and have taken this country a major step forward in the never-ending struggle for economic justice, social justice, racial justice, and environmental justice. I also want to thank the many hundreds of people on our campaign staff. You are willing to move from one state to another and do all the work that had to be done no job was too big or too small for you. You rolled up your sleeves and you did it. You embodied the words that are at the core of our movement, not me, but us. And I thank each and every one of you for what you've done. As many of you will recall, Nelson Mandela, one of the great freedom fighters in modern world history, famously said, and I quote, it always seems impossible until it is done, end quote. And what he meant by that is that the greatest obstacle to real social change has everything to do with the power of the corporate and political establishment to limit our vision as to what is possible and what we are entitled to as human beings. If we don't believe that we are entitled to health care as a human right, we will never achieve universal health care. If we don't believe that we are entitled to decent wages and working conditions, millions of us will continue to live in poverty. If we don't believe that we are entitled to all of the education we require to fulfill our dreams, 
Many of us will leave schools saddled with huge debt or never get the education we need. If we don't believe that we are entitled to live in a world that has a clean environment and is not ravaged by climate change, we will continue to see more drought, floods, rising sea levels, and increasingly uninhabitable planet. If we don't believe that we are entitled to live in a world of justice, democracy, and fairness, without racism, sexism, homophobia, xenophobia, or religious bigotry, we will continue to have massive income and wealth inequality, prejudice and hatred, mass incarceration, terrified immigrants, and hundreds of thousands of Americans sleeping out on the streets in the richest country on earth. And focusing on that new vision for America is what our campaign has been about and what, in fact, we have accomplished. Few would deny that over the course of the past five years, our movement has won the ideological struggle. In so-called red states and blue states and purple states, a majority of the American people now understand that we must raise the minimum wage to at least $15 an hour, that we must guarantee health care as a right to all of our people, that we must transform our energy system away from fossil fuel, and that higher education must be available to all, regardless of income. It was not long ago that people considered these ideas radical and fringe. Today, they are mainstream ideas, and many of them are already being implemented in cities and states across the country. That is what we have accomplished together. In terms of health care, even before this horrific pandemic we are now experiencing, more and more Americans understood that we must move to a Medicare for all single-payer program. During the primary elections, exit polls showed in state after state, a strong majority of Democratic primary voters supported a single government health insurance program to replace private insurance. That was true even in states where our campaign did not prevail. And let me just say this, in terms of healthcare, this current horrific crisis that we are now in has exposed for all to see how absurd our current employer-based health insurance system is. The current economic downturn we are experiencing has not only led to a massive loss of jobs, but has also resulted in millions of Americans losing their health insurance. While Americans have been told over and over again how wonderful our employer-based private insurance system is, those claims sound very hollow today as a growing number of unemployed workers struggle with how they can afford to go to the doctor or not go bankrupt with a huge hospital bill. We have always believed that health care must be considered as a human right, not an employee benefit, and we are right. Please also appreciate that not only are we winning the struggle ideologically, we are also winning it generationally. The future of our country rests with young people. And in state after state, whether we won or whether we lost, the Democratic primaries or caucuses, we received a significant majority of the votes, sometimes an overwhelming majority, from people not only 30 years of age or under, but 50 years of age or younger. In other words, 
The future of this country is with our ideas. As we are all painfully aware, we now face an unprecedented crisis. Not only are we dealing with a coronavirus pandemic, which is taking the lives of many thousands of our people, we are also dealing with an economic meltdown that has resulted in the loss of millions of jobs. Today, families all across our country face financial hardship unimaginable only a few months ago. And because of the unacceptable levels of income and wealth inequality in our economy, many of our friends and neighbors have little or no savings and are desperately trying to pay their rent or their mortgage or even put food on the table. This reality makes it clear to me that Congress must address this unprecedented crisis in an unprecedented way that protects the health and economic well-being of the working families of our country, not just powerful special interests. As a member of the Democratic leadership in the United States Senate, and as a senator from the state of Vermont, this is something that I intend to intensely be involved in over the next number of months, and that will require an enormous amount of work. Which takes me to the state of our presidential campaign. I wish I could give you better news, but I think you know the truth. And that is that we are now some 300 delegates behind Vice President Biden, and the path toward victory is virtually impossible. So while we are winning the ideological battle, and while we are winning the support of so many young people and working people throughout the country, I have concluded that this battle for the Democratic nomination will not be successful. And so today, I am announcing the suspension of my campaign. Please know that I do not make this decision lightly. In fact, it has been a very difficult and painful decision. Over the past few weeks, Jane and I, in consultation with top staff and many of our prominent supporters, have made an honest assessment of the prospects for victory. If I believed we had a feasible path to the nomination, I would certainly continue the campaign. But it's just not there. I know that there may be some in our movement who disagree with this decision, who would like us to fight on to the last ballot cast at the Democratic Convention. I understand that position. But as I see the crisis gripping the nation, exacerbated by a president unwilling or unable to provide any kind of credible leadership and the work that needs to be done to protect people in this most desperate hour, I cannot in good conscience continue to mount a campaign that cannot win and which would interfere with the important work required of all of us in this difficult hour. But let me say this very emphatically. As you all know, we have never been just a campaign. We are a grassroots, multiracial, multi-generational movement which has always believed that real change never comes from the top on down, but always from the bottom on up. We have taken on Wall Street, the insurance companies, the drug companies, the fossil fuel industry, the military-industrial complex, the prison-industrial complex, and the greed of the entire corporate elite. That struggle continues. While this campaign is coming to an end, our movement 
is not. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. reminded us that, quote, the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends toward justice, end quote. The fight for justice is what our campaign has been about. The fight for justice is what our movement remains about. Today, I congratulate Joe Biden, a very decent man, who I will work with to move our progressive ideas forward. On a practical note, let me also say this. I will stay on the ballot in all remaining states and continue to gather delegates. While Vice President Biden will be the nominee, we must continue working to assemble as many delegates as possible at the Democratic Convention, where we will be able to exert significant influence over the party platform and other functions. Then together, standing united, we will go forward to defeat Donald Trump, the most dangerous president in modern American history. And we will fight to elect strong progressives at every level of government from Congress to the school board. As I hope all of you know, this race has never been about me. I ran for the presidency because I believe that as a president, I could accelerate and institutionalize the progressive changes that we are all building together. And if we keep organizing and fighting, I have no doubt but that that is exactly what will happen. While the path may be slower now, we will change this nation and with like-minded friends around the globe, change the entire world. On a very personal note, speaking for Jane, myself and our entire family, we will always carry in our hearts the memory of the extraordinary people we have met across this country. We often hear about the beauty of America and this country is incredibly beautiful. But to me, the beauty I will remember most is in the faces of the people we have met from one corner of this nation to the other. The compassion, love, and decency I have seen in them makes me so hopeful for our future. It also makes me more determined than ever to work to create a nation that reflects those values and lifts up all of our people. Please stay in this fight with me. Let us go forward together. The struggle continues. Thank you all very much. Yeah, the revolution starts now Yeah
opportunity of standing in this very great and significant pulpit. It is always a rich and rewarding experience to take a, deep, a brief break from our day-to-day -day demands in the struggle for freedom and human dignity and discuss the issues involved in that struggle with concerned friends of goodwill all over our nation. And certainly it is always a deep and meaningful experience to be in a worship service. And so, for many reasons, I'm happy to be here today. I would like to use as a subject from which to preach this morning, remaining awake through a great revolution. And the text for the morning is found in the book of Revelation. There are two passages there that I would like to quote. It's in the 16th chapter of that book, 
Behold, I make all things new. Former things are passed away. I'm sure that most of you have read that arresting little story from the pen of Washington Irving, entitled Rip Van Winkle. The one thing that we usually remember about the story is that Rip Van Winkle slept 20 years. But that is another point in that little story that is almost always completely overlooked. It was a sign in the end from which Rip went up in the mountain for his long sleep. When Rip Van Winkle went up in the mountain, the sign had a picture of King George III of England. When he came down, 20 years later, the sign had a picture of George Washington, the first president of the United States. And Rip Van Winkle looked up at the picture of George Washington, but in looking at the picture, he was amazed. He was completely lost. He knew not who he was. And this reveals to us that the most striking thing about the story of Rip Van Winkle is not merely that Rip uh, slept 20 years, but that he slept through a revolution while he was peacefully snoring up in the mountain. A revolution was taking place that at points would change the course of history. And Rip knew nothing about it. He was asleep. Yes, he slept through a revolution. One of the great liabilities of life is that all too many people find themselves living amid a great period of social change. And yet they fail to develop the new attitude the new mental responses that the new situation demands. They end up sleeping through a revolution. Now, there can be no gainsaying of the fact that the great revolution has taken place in the world today. In the sense it is a triple revolution. That is a technological revolution with the impact of automation and cybernation. Then that is a revolution in weaponry with the emergence of atomic and nuclear weapons of warfare. Then that is a human rights revolution with the freedom explosion that has taken place all over the world. Yes, we do live in a period where changes are taking place. 
And that is still the voice crying through the vista of time, saying, Behold, I make all things new. Former things are passed away. Now, whenever anything new comes into history, it brings with it new challenges and new opportunities. And I would like to deal with the challenges that we face today as a result of this triple revolution that has taken place in the world today. First, we are challenged to develop a world perspective. No individual can live alone. No nation can live alone. And anyone who feels that he can live alone is sleeping through a revolution. The world in which we live is geographically one. The challenge that we face today is to make it one in terms of brotherhood. Now, it's true that the geographical oneness of this age has coming to be in to a large extent through modern man's scientific ingenuity. Modern man, through his scientific genius, has been able to dwarf distance and place time in chains. And our jet planes have compressed into minutes distances that once took weeks and even months. All of this tells us that our world is a neighborhood. Through our scientific and technological genius, we have made of this world a neighborhood and yet, we have not had the ethical commitment to make of it a brotherhood. But somehow and in some way we've got to do this. We must all learn to live together as brothers, or we will all perish together as fools. We are tied together in the single garment of destiny caught in an inescapable network of mutuality. And whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. For some strange reason, I can never be what I ought to be until you are what you ought to be. And you can never be what you ought to be until I am what I ought to be. This is the way God's universe is made. This is the way it is structured. John Donne caught it years ago and placed it in graphic terms. No man is an island in time itself. Every man is a piece of the continent, a part of the main. And he goes on toward the end to say, any man's death diminishes me because I am involved in mankind. Therefore, never sin to know for whom the bell tolls. It tolls for thee. We must see this, believe this, and live by it. If we are to remain awake through a great revolution. One percent of the population owns two-thirds of the wealth. Fifty million people don't have health care. 
The ghettos in the cities are comparable to so-called third world countries. Wars are fought by the poor so the rich can get richer. Countless civilians die in the quest for this imperialistic greed. Democrats and Republicans have failed this country for too long. The current system is designed for profit, not human needs. The people must rise up and revolt for human need over profit. There's something wrong when they say separation of church and state to swear you in on the Bible to be president or take the stand. And the demand for free health care and education and jobs for all the paper bills could be met with the creation of tax and the super rich. Taking some millions from their place, placing the military budget with big cuts would change the nation. They got health care in Europe and Canada. Presently, they don't have as many in jail and they don't have the death penalty. In 60 minutes, they asked Madeleine Albright about the plight of 500,000 kids that because the sanctions lost their life in Iraq. So the question of the host was asked back, was it worth it? She said yes It showed that if you're poor Your life is worth less So my guess is Most people don't have time to uprise They too busy working Two jobs to survive And they don't work as for us important They work us to make that profit Someday we gotta stop it Every song I've written It's about more than music We don't have to be living In this system I can prove it You heard of people's movement In the people's music for revolution Can't expect the current system To make solutions Legalized drugs Set up help for the addicts How can you imprison a person For falling into bad habits Instead of contracts for weapons Use that money for free transit, free public transportation, the environmentalation. We could use that money in the cities to make them decent. And give homeless people homes, skyscrapers are not needed. Use money that's building prisons on paying the teachers more. Stop working for profit, start working to ensure our people's needs are met. Then we wouldn't have the poor, the poor wouldn't need to take it. Stop robbery and probably we'd be a lot closer to seeing a democracy. People who couldn't control their impulsive forces, we humanely care for with educational resources and real correctional enforcement. Not a place where it's more. This. Problems could be solved not by violence but compromising We use our brains not a force to solve conflicts that's arising Every song I've written is about more than music We don't have to be living in this system I can prove it You heard of people's movement in the people's music for revolution Can't expect the current system to make solutions The degree of civilization and society that's living Can be seen by walking in and examining its prisons We don't have to be living under greedy politicians They don't fight, they give orders Workers enforce their positions for change Workers need to come into the resistance Teach about resistance Cause they wanna scare them weak and oblivious The way we've been ruled has been insidious Those that want change can't be seen as ridiculous I see a world without borders A world without ethnicity Where all people live with human dignity Where we thriving Not categorizing and dividing The sexist homophobic rhetoric won't be arising It's living When I envision new horizons It'd be a big revolution to see my solutions come arising But you've won A big victory has been risen If you rejecting the current system in the way in which you're living Every song I've written is about more than music we don't have to be living in this system i can prove it you heard of people's movement in the people's music for revolution can't expect the current system to make solutions they romanticize dr king's dream of racial equality but not his dream of society rejecting violence paying livable wages they teach us we can and should be pro athletes movie stars models business moguls or inventors of frivolous technology like high definition tv that was really important more important than people starving, being unable to find jobs, being unable to live. Stop defending the system, join the resistance. Human need over profit. That's the needed revolution. The poorer you are, the more likely you are to go to jail, live in polluted areas, and lack access to health care and healthy food. That's not democracy.
Yeah, the truth is hard to handle, but what's really hard to see is people not doing something about it. Look inside my CD, you'll see a lot of groups is doing a lot of great work to make things different. So don't sit back. Join the movement. Civil unrest has begun to erupt in the global village. In countries like Argentina, Brazil, Mexico, Bolivia, and India, the resistance movements against corporate globalization are growing. To contain them, governments are tightening their control. Protesters are being labeled terrorists and then being dealt with as such. But civil unrest does not only mean marches and demonstrations and protests against globalization. Unfortunately, it also means a desperate downward spiral into crime and chaos and all kinds of despair and disillusionment, which, as we know from history and from what we see unspooling before our eyes, gradually becomes a fertile breeding ground for terrible things, cultural nationalism, religious bigotry, fascism, and, of course, terrorism. All these march arm in arm with corporate globalization. There is a notion gaining credence that the free market breaks down national barriers and that corporate globalization's ultimate destination is a hippie paradise where the heart is the only passport and we all live happily together inside a John Lennon song. Imagine there's no country. But this is a canard. What the free market undermines is not national sovereignty, but democracy. As the disparity between the rich and poor grows, the hidden fist has its work cut out for it. Multinational corporations on the prowl for sweetheart deals that yield enormous profits cannot push through those deals and administer those projects in developing countries without the active connivance of state machinery, the police, the courts, sometimes even the army. Today, corporate globalization needs an international confederation of loyal, corrupt, preferably authoritarian governments in poorer countries to push through unpopular reforms and quell the mutinies. It needs a press that pretends to be free. It needs courts that pretend to dispense justice. It needs nuclear bombs, standing armies, sterner immigration laws, and watchful coastal patrols to make sure that it's only money, goods, patents, and services that are being globalized, not the free movement of people, not a respect for human rights, not international treaties on racial discrimination, or chemical and nuclear weapons, or greenhouse gas emissions, climate change, or, God forbid, justice. It's as though even a gesture towards international accountability would wreck the whole enterprise. Close to one year after the war against terror was officially flagged off in the ruins of Afghanistan, in country after country, freedoms are being curtailed in the name of protecting freedom, civil liberties are being suspended in the name of protecting democracy. All kinds of dissent <clears throat> is being defined as terrorism. All kinds of laws are being passed to deal with it. Osama bin Laden seems to have vanished into thin air. Mullah Omar is supposed to have made his escape on a motorbike. They could have sent Tintin after him. <laughs> the Taliban may have disappeared, but their spirit and their system of summary justice is surfacing in the unlikeliest of places, in India, in Pakistan, in Nigeria, in America, 
in all the Central Asian republics run by all manner of despots, and of course in Afghanistan under the US-backed Northern Alliance. Meanwhile, down at the mall, there's a mid-season sale. Everything's discounted, oceans, rivers, oil, gene pools, fig wasps, flowers, childhoods, aluminum factories, phone companies, wisdom, wilderness, civil rights, ecosystems, air, all 4,600 million years of evolution. It's packed, sealed, tagged, valued, and available off the rack. No returns. As for justice, I'm told it's on offer too. You can get the best that money can buy. Donald Rumsfeld said that his mission in the war against terror was to persuade the world that Americans must be allowed to continue their way of life. When, when the maddened king stamps his foot, slaves tremble in their quarters. So standing here today, it's hard for me to say this, but the American way of life is simply not sustainable because it doesn't acknowledge that there is a world beyond America. But fortunately, power has a shelf life. When the time comes, maybe this mighty empire will, like others before it, overreach itself and implode from within. It looks as though structural cracks have already appeared. As the war against terror casts its net wider and wider, America's corporate heart is hemorrhaging for all the endless, empty chatter about democracy. Today, the world is run by three of the most secretive institutions in the world, the International Monetary Fund, the World Bank, and the World Trade Organization, all three of which, in turn, are dominated by the US. Their decisions are made in secret. The people who head them are appointed behind closed doors. Nobody really knows anything about them, their politics, their beliefs, their intentions. Nobody elected them. Nobody said they could make decisions on our behalf. A world run by a handful of greedy bankers and CEOs who nobody elected can't possibly last. Soviet-style communism failed not because it was intrinsically evil, but because it was flawed. It allowed too few people to usurp too much power. 21st century market capitalism, American style, will fail for the same reasons. Both are edifices constructed by the human intelligence, undone by human nature. The time has come, the walrus said. Perhaps things will become worse and then better. Perhaps there's a small god up in heaven readying herself for us. Another world is not only possible, she's on her way. Maybe many of us won't be here to greet her, but on a quiet day, if I listen very carefully, I can hear her breathing. Thank you.
You would think from reading the little, well, uh, sorry, we can't afford this. <laughs> sorry, we can afford child care. We can't afford to give school lunches to kids. We can't afford to give $500 a month to a mother taking care of two kids. We, we don't have the money for the arts. We have to cut money for music. We just don't have it. This country with this enormous gross national product truly gross national <laughs> product, you see. Uh, wealth, uh, which is concentrated in a, in a small portion of the population, which is wasted on the military budget, which goes for all sorts of purposes other than human purposes. And we, th there's a basis there in those facts and, and the existence, I believe, in most American people not all American people, but most, large numbers of American people of the, the uh, sense of what is just and what is right. And I believe that's the, that's the basis for people beginning to move, people beginning to act, people to get together with other people, not to allow those people who are, who are trying to convince us that they have it all their way. Uh, why? because they were elected by some small part of the population who voted unenthusiastically for them because they had nobody else to vote for. Uh, uh, people begin to act, people begin to move, people begin to organize in the smallest of ways with the smallest of groups. Well, that's how social movements develop. That's how social movements have developed historically. Uh, and if everybody understands that the smallest action, oh, it may not have any effect, but it might join to millions of other small actions and at a certain point in history might bring about the kind of changes we want, uh, might uh, actually uh, change policy, might actually boldly change policy uh, and do something about the the horrors of, of racism and, and uh, the, the unequal treatment of sexes and the unequal treatment of, of uh, uh, gay people and the unequal treatment of children. Uh, do something about all those things. Uh, 
because we certainly, we're approaching a new century. We, we don't want to go into this new century repeating the history of the old century. And I, th I think it's possible not to repeat that and to do something new and startling. And not only that, what, whatever you accomplish, whatever is accomplished, and you never know what you will accomplish, and anybody would be rash, and I would be rash to predict, oh yes, it's certain, great things will happen. Uh, except that I know that if you don't do anything, I know great things won't happen. Uh, if you act, great things might happen. But whether they do or not, in the process, in the course of it, by your action, by not simply living the life of a professional, <laughs> but having another life, uh, well, it will be more interesting and more fun and more rewarding. And as I say, whatever is accomplished, you will feel that you have participated in something worthwhile uh, all the time. Uh, that's worth doing. Th thank you for coming. I come like a comet newborn, like the sun that arises at morning. I come like the furious tempest that follows the thundercloud's warning. I come like the fiery lava from cloud-covered mountains volcanic. I come like a storm from the north that the oceans awake to in I come because tyranny planted my seed in the hot desert sand. I come because masters have kindled my fury with every command. I come because man cannot murder the life-giving seed in his veins. I come because liberty cannot forever be fettered by chains. I come because tyrants imagine that mankind is only the throne. I come because peace has been nourished by bullets and cannons alone. I come because one world is two and we face one another with rage. I come because gods have been posted to keep out the hope of the age. From earliest times the oppressed have awaked me and called me to lead them. I guided them out of enslavement and brought them to high roads of freedom. I marched at the head of their legions and hailed the new world at its birth. And now I shall march with the peoples until the unfetter the earth. And you, are you sanctified money bags, bandits anointed and crowned? Your counterfeit towers of justice and ethics will crash to the ground. I send my good sword to your hearts that have drained the world's blood in their lust. And smash all your crowns and your scepters and trample them into the dust. I'll rip off your rich purple garments and tear them to rags and to shreds. And never again will their glitter be able to turn people's heads. At last your cold world will be robbed of its crown to the critical blow. For we shall dissolve it as surely as sunlight dissolves the deep soul. I'll 
Break down your cobweb morality Shatter the old chain of lies And catch all your black-footed preachers And choke them as though they were flies I'll put a quick end to your heavens Your gods that are deaf to all prayers I'll scatter your futile old spirits And clean up the earth and the air And call you may choke me and shoot me and hang me Your toil is in vain No dungeon, no gallows can scare me Nor will I be frightened by pain Each time I'll rise from the earth And break through all your weapons of doom Until you are finished forever Until you are dust in the tomb